just a, a quick little story about uh, that, that song, Unbended Knee. My, my dad used to lead songs quite a bit in church, and so when he, would, when he would lead that song, and not just with that song, but any song he led, it was kind of funny. Uh, he, he would, of course, you know, do the, the hand to keep the time, but he would also bend his knees with the beat. Like the, and so when he sings on bended knee, he's literally bending his knees up there as he sings. Uh, so just a, just a funny, fond memory I have of church growing up, but... Uh, I would like to thank Robert Peek for filling in for me last Sunday. I would like to thank him for the three sermons that he preached, his words, not mine. Uh, so I guess maybe I could just not preach today and then the next Sunday, and that would just, you know, you already got three sermons, you know. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We were, we were gone. We were visiting uh, friends down in Lafayette, uh, Louisiana. He's, the, he's a minister down there. He's the minister that officiated our wedding uh, back in 2019, June 1st. Uh, and so the reason we, de- we went down there to visit is because they're sort of relaunching their church. Uh, they had a church split a few years ago, and then they, they kind of reevaluated things. They started cutting costs. They moved church buildings to a smaller location that wouldn't cost as much. And they're trying to become more outward-focused in serving their community. They're not just hired hands, right? They're trying to be selfless and more focused outwardly to the community. Uh, and that's something we see in John chapter 10, something that Christ reflects. Christ is the good shepherd, and he is outward focused, right? He's selfless. He's outward focused. He cares for his sheep, and I'm just going to let the sermon preach itself, but let's pray before we get into the text. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for Christ. We are thankful for your word. Uh, We pray that as we read your word, that we may grow in wisdom and knowledge, and most importantly, love. We we understand that we can grow so much just by reading and grow in knowledge, but Lord, we pray that most of all we grow in love, that we may love people more, that we may love people as your Son has loved us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before we talk, before we walk through the text, I do want to preemptively provide some interpretation. We're going to be in John chapter 10. Uh, just to provide some interpretation, Jesus, in this uh, metaphor of sorts, he's going to explain later on in John chapter 10 that he is the door and that he is the shepherd. We also got to keep in mind the context of this passage, right? A few weeks ago, we preached about the man who was born blind from birth, right? He was blind from birth, and Jesus, he's still having this discussion with the Pharisees that were there present, the Pharisees that witnessed this. And there's a contrast between what the Pharisees say about Jesus and what the blind man said about Jesus. John chapter 9, verse 24, the Pharisees say, So for the second time they called the man, that is the Pharisees, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, we know that this man, referring to Jesus, is a sinner. Right. So the Pharisees, they just keep getting further and further away from who Christ is, calling him a sinner. But then the blind man in verse 38 of chapter 9, he says... Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So, ironically enough, the man who was blind is actually the one who ends up really seeing. And then leading up to our passage in John chapter 9, verses 40 and 41, that says, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And then we are in chapter 10. Now, while we have chapter breaks, we have verses, we have chapter breaks, the way John, the writer of the Gospel of John, the way he presents it is that 
from John chapter 9 to John chapter 10, Jesus is still talking to these Pharisees. We didn't get chapter breaks, we didn't get verses till around 1200, 1300. <laughs> so the way John presents is that Jesus, he's still talking to these Pharisees, and he says in John chapter 10, verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, I think this is Jesus kind of implicitly, maybe really explicitly, calling out the Pharisees. They're the robbers. They're the ones who tried to enter another way. Now, remember, you've got to keep in mind in the context of what we read so far, they don't think they need Jesus. They think Jesus is a fraud. They would point people away from Jesus. John chapter 8, John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, uh, it says, Jesus said to them, to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and you've, we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Right? How, who are you to say that? We've got Abraham. Well, we don't really need you. Skipping ahead in verse 52 and 53, Jesus continues. He says, they say rather, the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see or taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be, right? Who are you, Jesus? Who are you to talk like this? Saying that if we come to you, we're going to have life. Who, do, who are you to say that, Jesus? We don't need you. We're Jews. Abraham's our father. We don't need you. So the Jews, the Pharisees, they would point people away from Jesus. You don't need him. He's a fraud. I think Jesus is calling them out as the robbers in John chapter 10. Verse 2, Jesus continues in John 10. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, I know, as we go through this metaphor here, it's a little bit confusing. Jesus calls himself the door. He calls himself the shepherd. Uh, in a way, it's almost like he's saying, I'm entering through myself to, to lead these sheep. It's confusing, but you've got to remember, this is, this is a figure of speech. Uh, it's not meant to be taken literally. Right? I think he's simply communicating that he's not a thief. He doesn't enter another way. He's the true shepherd of the sheep, verse 3, continues, To him, that is the shepherd, to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls out his sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep hear his voice, he calls them by name. Now, I don't want this to get lost in the sermon. This is not the main point, but I don't want this to get lost. Think of this analogy of sheep and a shepherd. Right, if there was a shepherd... Uh, who, who didn't really have, know, know sheep's, the sheep's name. Uh, just, they were all just sheep. They were just a homogenous flock of sheep. There was not one different from another. A sheep is a sheep is a sheep. If that were how the shepherd treated the sheep, would the shepherd actually care for them? No. No, right? I, I even think about Judy Jones. You have your cows named, right? So the act of naming shows that somebody cares. Right? Jesus is not careless with his flock of sheep. He, do, we, we don't, he doesn't lose us in the crowd. Jesus doesn't lose us. He, has, he knows us by name. He calls us by name. He's not careless. He knows us. Verses 4 through 6. When he brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them, right? So he ends this figure of speech. They don't understand. Now, it's understandable that they don't understand. 
Imagine if you heard this for the first time, I didn't provide any interpretation for you. It would be a little confusing. Right? It would be a little confusing. It's understandable that the Pharisees don't understand. And here's the thing. The Pharisees are not the only people in Scripture who have a hard time understanding Jesus. Luke chapter 8. Uh, Jesus tells them the parable of the sower to his disciples, and his disciples don't understand. Jesus has to explain to them this parable, so I don't think the Pharisees don't understand just because they're not sheep. After all, sometimes the sheep don't understand. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. Uh, there are people who are going to hear Jesus. They're going to hear Jesus. They're not going to understand. They're going to leave. They're going to leave. There are people who hear Jesus. They don't understand. They leave. And there are those who hear Jesus. They might not understand, but they trust Jesus. Those people are the sheep. So I don't think the Pharisees just don't understand because they're not sheep. Uh, sometimes the disciples, sometimes sheep don't understand, but they trust. So what we see in verses 1 through 6 overall is that Jesus is gathering this flock of sheep. He's gathering this flock of sheep. He's calling them by name. They know his voice. The Pharisees don't get what Jesus is talking about. Maybe sometime, maybe sometime later they become sheep. Who knows? And as we've seen already in our text throughout the Gospel of John, the crowd, they're split on Jesus. They don't know what to make of him. Some don't believe at all. Some might begin, might begin to believe in him. As we see even in verses 19 through 21, jumping ahead, it says, There was again a division, a split among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind, right? So we see this constantly throughout the Gospel of John. They're split. They don't know what to make of them. Some start to believe, maybe becoming sheep. So Jesus, he's gathering them. But here's a question for you. Who are the sheep and why is Jesus gathering them? Verses 7 and 8, let's look at that. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. You want to be a part of my flock? I'm the door. Right, that's the way into the flock. Jesus is the way into the flock. There were counterfeits. There were people who claimed things like Jesus, but they were robbers. They were thieves. The sheep weren't actually theirs. Verses 9 and 10 continue on. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The text is straightforward. Who are the sheep? Those who enter through Christ. And why is Jesus gathering, gathering these sheep? So they may be saved? So they may find pasture, go in and out and find pasture, and so they may have abundant life? Right, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't just, he doesn't just save us. Jesus doesn't just save us. He saves us for something. For abundant life. It's like, oh, yep, I'm saved. Good, Jesus. Now what? There's something else. Abundant life. Abundant life now. Remember previously in the Gospel of John, those who come to him, those who follow him, they present tense have eternal life. It's not just some future distant promise. There's a present tense promise of eternal life. There's abundant life now and abundant life later. Jesus saves us and he saves us for abundant life. So the sheep, they are those who enter by Jesus and Jesus is gathering them so that they may be saved, so that may have abundant life. And here's the thing, there is one shepherd who can take care of you. One shepherd. The rest are here to kill, 
uh, steal and destroy. They're thieves, they're robbers. Now in the immediate context, I, again, I think Jesus is referring to these Pharisees. Right? These Pharisees say, this man's fil- he's got a demon in him. This man's insane, don't listen to him, he's insane. I think in the immediate context, they are the, the thieves, the robbers, the people who try to lead people away from Jesus. But as we know, even today's world, there are so many people, so many things that try to lead people away from Jesus. So really, anything and anyone that tries to lead somebody away from the shepherd, the good shepherd, they are thieves, they are robbers. They just steal. Thieves steal. They don't have anything to offer. That's why they steal. They don't offer anything. But Jesus offers everything. Jesus, he's gathering this flock so they may be saved. Now, how does Jesus save his sheep? I'm preaching to the choir, but verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's how he saves his sheep. See, Jesus is not a thief. He's not stealing sheep. He doesn't take. In fact, Jesus gives everything. He gives his own life. And notice, notice in this passage, notice the tension in the analogy here. Uh, he says, I- I'm the door. I'm also the shepherd. Uh, do doors have legs, right? What-, what are you talking about, Jesus? How can you be the door? How can you also be the shepherd? The thing is, I think Jesus, he intentionally creates tension uh, in-, in his metaphors. Remember, he just said that he, he was the bread. He just told them to eat his flesh and drink his blood. What are you talking about? How do we eat your flesh and drink your blood? That, that's cannibalism, Jesus. What are you talking about? Right to so the wise and understanding, Jesus, he's crazy. What are you talking about? How can I believe you, Jesus, if you talk like that? But here's the thing. Jesus is not looking for the wise and understanding. He's looking for sheep. Sheep may not understand, but they trust and they follow. They follow a good shepherd who lays his life down for them. Verses 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. Right? Jesus, he's not like that. He's not a hired hand. Hired hands are there out of self-interest. Hired hands are there to make money. That's why when a wolf comes, they flee because they're more concerned about their own life than the sheep. Jesus is not that. He's not a hired hand. The sheep are his. He owns the sheep. Jesus doesn't treat sheep as a means to an end. Jesus doesn't treat us as expendable. Think about that. We we are a creation. We are what is created. So, quite frankly, we are expendable. Meaning, he doesn't depend on us. We don't sustain him. We don't sustain God. Right? It's not like so many of the, the pagan gods then who rely on the, the people to sacrifice things to them. That's not God. Even though we are expendable, Jesus doesn't treat us as expendable. He doesn't view us as expendable. He views us as a people worth dying for. Man, if that that just doesn't blow your mind, a God who doesn't depend on us yet is willing to die for us. Verses 14 and 16. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus, he lays down his life for the flock, and apparently there are more sheep uh, that are of the flock that aren't of this fold. What does he mean by that? Well, remember the context. He's talking to Pharisees, he's talking to Jews. So there are more sheep that aren't Jews. Jesus' sacrifice, his atoning work of salvation is not just for uh, one people group. It's for all tribes, it's for all nations, it's for all cultures, it's for all languages. There is one flock. There might be different sheep, but there's one flock. And sometimes I think we forget about this. Jesus didn't just die for some westernized version of Christians. All right? We're not just the homogenous flock of westernized Christians and that's what we're going to see in heaven. No, all nations, all tribes, all tongues, different kinds of people. You know, ironically enough, I say this to a church, we're going to talk about the obvious here. We're pretty much one culture. And, you know, I know there's a lot of reasons for that. And, you know, I, I know that we can all always work to maybe invite more people in that don't look like us, that don't act like us, that don't talk like us. I know it's not easy. But, man, we've we got to have a bigger picture of what the flock is. The flock is not just this. People that don't look like us, people that don't talk like us, people that don't really always act like us. It's one flock of sheep, not all the sheep are the same. Verses 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now here's the thing. Jesus, he doesn't just die for his sheep. You've got to think about this. He doesn't just die for his sheep. Think about it. If the shepherd just died, who's there to protect the sheep? Nobody. Right? The, the atoning death of Christ is very, very important, but it amounts to nothing if he has not been raised. He doesn't just die for his sheep. He has been raised for his sheep. The Apostle Paul knows this. He knows the importance of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, In this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Jesus did not just die for his sheep. He was raised for his sheep. I don't don't have to tell you the implication, the, the seriousness of that. If he just died and that was it, well, what promise do we have? If the dead are not raised, if there's no implication past this life, then it doesn't matter what we do in this life. That's kind of what Paul's touching on here. If there's no implication past our current physical life, then it doesn't matter. Then what Christ did doesn't matter. 
But of course he did. Christ did indeed die. Christ was indeed raised. Back to John chapter 10. Look at verse 18 again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. It is one thing for Jesus to say that he can lay down his own life. Of course he can. Anybody has that power. Anybody can lay down their own life. But to the Pharisees, Jesus is out of pocket when he says, no, I, just, I don't just have authority to lay it down. I can take it back up again. Right, here's, here's this man, this mortal man. This, he's flesh and blood. He, he can be hurt like him. They can, he can cry like them. And he's saying, I can take my life back up. I think that's why they say, man, this guy's got a demon. He's insane. Nobody can do that. No mortal man can take back their life. That's what the wise would say. See, the wise think Jesus is insane, but the sheep view Jesus as Savior. So Jesus, he's gathering his flock. Jesus is gathering his flock so they may have abundant life. He did this by dying. He did this by being raised. So enter the door. Be a part of the flock.